Welcome to the Chosen Devotional Season Number 1, Day 31, Power. Power. Let's look at Ephesians 1 verse 21. Ephesians 1:21 says, Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Power. Nicodemus and his Sanhedrin colleagues were the political and religious rule makers and enforcers of their day. They doled out a dizzying mess of statutes down to the most impossible to follow, legalistic minutiae. They were especially fond of legislating Sabbath observances, purity, and tithing laws. Of course, the Pharisees created all kinds of loopholes for themselves. They deemed the mutual oral law to be equally as binding as the written one. In other words, they could change or follow a law however and whenever they saw fit. That is crazy. Consequently, this group of rule-maker-breakers was thought by the people to be high-handed, hypocritical zealots. Their shameless arrogance provoked resentment and fear-based obedience. They were, essentially, fancy bullies. As far as he was concerned, Nicodemus deserved the glory he got. After all, his command of scripture, religious training, prominence in the community, and the power to throw folks in jail for, say, fishing on Sabbath, mandated it. And who would dare question him? What common man was more powerful than he? Nicodemus discovered the answers when he met Jesus. Jesus didn't look very important. He didn't adorn himself with elaborate garments, phylacteries, and long tassels the way the Pharisees did, nor did he brandish a list of credentials and demand deference. Yet, his power defied and preempted all systems of institutional hierarchy. His otherworldly authority was dispensed with compassion and grace. It was undeniable. Jesus cast out demons and did miracles, and Nicodemus was among the few men of power who knew what that meant. Jesus was sent by God. And although his presence threatened Nicodemus's position, power, and livelihood, it beckoned his heart and compelled him to risk all that he'd built. In Jesus, he found real truth and power, not the religious invitation he was part of. He found the word, it had been made flesh and was dwelling among them, John 1.14. The body of scripture Nicodemus had dedicated his entire life to knowing knew him by name. He found the hope to which he'd been called, and it was beyond powerful. That was really exciting. All these things Nicodemus is learning. Poor guy. But we're going to get to some good stuff. But first, let's do the prayer focus. God, help us repent of the times that we have valued status over humility. And God, we just ask you to bring us to our knees in gratitude and in awe of the fact that you want to have a relationship with us. God, it is so awesome that you have come down here in the flesh. You stepped into our world to save us and to have a relationship with us. So I hope today, Lord, that we can just put our sins before you, confess them, and then just open our hearts, Lord, to have a great relationship with you. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll read the moving forward. Number one, write down a time when you felt better than someone else because of your religious status or choices or their lack thereof. 
I remember a lot of times when I was a younger child because I was blessed to be able to go to church, but then that kind of made me feel like I was better than other kids at school who didn't have that chance yet to go. And other kids would do things or say things. I remember thinking, well, I'm better than that. I'm not saying that or cussing that, or I'm not going and doing these things, but that's not really what God wants. It's good that I wasn't doing those bad things, but he wants us to be able to tell other people about him so they can stop doing those bad things, right? Not that I should feel better than that. So there's kind of a difference with that. Number two, what's a rule or lifestyle choice you've stressed as important, perhaps at the expense of a more direct and pure connection with Jesus? I think sometimes when we just think being good is better than having a relationship. And there's a great saying that it's not about religion. Jesus is a relationship and that's what he wants with us. And to be able to come to him through his word and just to grow closer to him. And as we do those things, then that will keep us from doing a lot of the things that break God's heart. But I think it's important not to focus on the rules, but to focus on that relationship. And number three. We rarely have to risk a lot to follow Jesus, but what are some things you've had a hard time risking to follow Jesus? I think the main thing always is risking my reputation. I want people to like me, right? You know, people at work or people wherever we're at. And sometimes when you follow Jesus, then you have to do things that other people may make fun of. Or if you try to share their, you know, share faith with them a little bit, they might make fun of you. So I think for me, the, you know, reputation, but the thing is the older I get, I don't care about my reputation. I really don't. It doesn't matter now what people think because I so want people to know about Jesus. So I'm willing to go and talk to anybody about Jesus now. So that's kind of the cool thing. The stronger you get in your faith, the less you worry about risking anything because it's just all for God's glory. And just think if, if somebody makes fun of me, but then that person ends up going to heaven, that makes it all worth it. So I'm willing to risk anything these days. I hope you are too. I hope today you got a lot out of this devotion. The main thing that I have learned is that I don't want to be like all those Pharisees, just following all the letters of the law. I want to be able to love God with my whole heart and be going out and sharing him with other people. So I hope you too just think that it's more of a relationship with Jesus as what's important and that you're going to go out there and share that love with other people. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Welcome to the Chosen Devotional, Season 1, Day 32, Believe. Believe. Let's look at John 3.16. But we know this one. Let's say it together. Are you ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's look at today's devotion. A promise and a covenant are the same but different. A promise is a declaration that something will or will not be done. A covenant is a contract, a formal agreement between two or more parties. In the Old Testament, God promises in the form of covenants with ancient Israel. Because it was his idea, because he is God, and because he knows what's good for his people, the covenant was on his terms and he established the conditions. God promised to protect the Israelites if they kept the law and remained faithful to him. But they didn't. It was impossible. Not because God's plan was flawed, but because his chosen people were. The covenant served to illustrate their desperate need for a perfect God. It was not designed to save them, but to point them to the one who could. Enter the new covenant. Enter Jesus. Jesus is the new covenant. If you are born again, you will be saved. And that is the new contract, the new formal agreement. And it tripped up Nicodemus something terrible. 
Jesus explained, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. John 3, 3. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, taking his own words too literally. Surely they could not enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Verse 4. The fact that Nicodemus was a Pharisee made his response that much dumber. Jesus pointed out that Nicodemus was a guy who dedicated his life to studying and teaching the Old Covenant, that the Old Covenant pointed to the New Covenant, and that the New Covenant was standing right in front of him. So Jesus was very clearly not talking about re-entering his mother's womb, and maybe Nicodemus should have been quicker on the uptake, but he wasn't. Flawed Nicodemus was stuck on the external. His life was all about outward pretentiousness, long-winded, empty prayers, ridiculous outfits, strong-arming the community. It was all fake. Actual faith was not part of Nicodemus's religious acuum, but he needed to believe this teacher who came from God, talking about flesh giving birth to flesh and spirit giving birth to spirit. It's a hard thing, Nico. Heart not works. It takes actual faith. Representing the new covenant, Jesus Christ was standing before him, declaring the most extraordinary promise ever made. If you are born again, you will see the kingdom of heaven. If you believe, you will not perish, but have eternal life. I've already chosen you. Now it's your turn to make the choice. Nicodemus, what do you say? I'll read the prayer focus. God, we want to thank you today for freedom from the law. But also, Lord, in response to that, help us have more faith and more zeal. Lord, help us not to be all tangled up in the law, but to realize it's a relationship with you. You have freed us that we can be saved to go out and serve other people. Be with today in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll read the moving forward. Is it sometimes difficult for you to believe the new covenant has replaced the old? Or do you still sometimes think following rules is more important? I think for our generation, definitely, I think it's a little easier. I mean, because we didn't grow up with all these rules. They used to memorize all these rules and have to live them out. But I do think that sometimes it is easier to try to follow the rules than have a relationship and be living for Jesus over here. So it can kind of go back and forth. But I'm usually pretty good about just trusting in God and also just loving him and trying to have more of a relationship over the rules. Number two, in what ways can you identify with Nicodemus? I can identify with him. I mean, the poor guy, he had some really good questions. And the cool thing is he was trying, right? He came to Jesus because the spirit was moving in his heart. He was looking around at how everything was being done. And I know the spirit was kind of nudging him to realize this isn't the same way that we should be doing this, right? This is the old way. This is the old covenant way, following all the rules. But Jesus was here to do something new. But it was a struggle for him because for him to believe Jesus and to go back on everything else, his status, his fame, everything depended on him being a Pharisee over here, following all these laws, right? So that was really hard for him to figure out which is going to be the better way to go. But thankfully, by his example, it makes us easier to say that we want to be following Jesus and not just following all the rules. So I am thankful for him. And number three, describe the moment you knew there was a choice about Jesus to be made. For me, it was in third grade when our Sunday school teacher told us that Jesus would come and die if I was the only person on earth. Huh. 
I love that thought. And I was like, yes, I do believe that. I believe that he would come just for me. And therefore I want to give my life to him and live for him. So I know for some people it can just be a lot harder. And so I pray today that if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, that you do, that you believe what we are reading in the Bible is true. And that John 3, 16 is true, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. It's so simple. You don't have to follow a bunch of rules. You don't have to clean up yourself before you come to Jesus. Just come to him and he'll clean you up. So I hope today that if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, that you do. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, I hope you go out there and tell a lot of other people because there's so many people in this world that don't know about him and they need to hear from you. God has put you in a little circle of friends and circle of people in this world. You've lived in this certain time frame in the timeline of the world and you're in a certain place because God has certain people that you're supposed to talk to. So today, don't be afraid. Just go out and share because they need to know about Jesus and God will bless you for doing that. Have a great day trusting him and sharing his love and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Welcome to the Chosen Devotional Season 1, Day 33, Perceive. Perceive. Let's look at Matthew 6, 22 and 23. Matthew 6, 22, the chapter title here is Treasures in Heaven. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Perceive. How you see is what you get. Life and death, light and darkness. You choose the outcome when you choose whom to follow. Let the ranger with the big flashlight lead you and you'll get back to camp safely. Ignore the ranger with the big flashlight and you'll become disoriented, lost, and eaten by a bear. The choice is yours. Whichever route, it's your eyes that inform your body how to proceed. They communicate to your heart and soul which way to go. Of course, no one who ignores the light thinks they'll end up bear food. Their path is better, they believe, or at least easier. Regardless, they're unable to discern in the darkness that it leads straight into the bear cave. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8, 12. In effect, he told his listeners that if they wanted to make it out of the woods alive, they would do well to follow the one with the flashlight. The Pharisees were incensed by his claims. They asserted their unmatched knowledge of the woods and wanted to know who made him the ranger. They questioned Jesus about it while a crowd was listening. And based on his answers, many in the crowd believed Jesus was indeed the light of the world. And because they made the choice to follow him, they had light. That's how it works, in that order. When you choose to follow him, you have the light because he is the light. He's the one who gives you the ability to see the path and perceive your surroundings as they really are. There is no do-it-yourself home remedy for healthy eyes and right perception. Jesus is the only one who can make you see. Once your eyes are healthy, everything is healthy because what you perceive affects your entire being. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 22. Likewise, a doctor shines a bright light into an unconscious patient's eyes to check for brain death. If the eye responds to the light and the pupils constrict, the patient's brain is okay. If it doesn't, it's dead. But unlike the person with brain death, it's never too late to make the decision to follow the light. We can choose to respond to the one who chose us first. 
He is the light. He knows the way and will lead us safely back to camp and away from all the bears. I love that, don't you? Let's look at the prayer focus. God, I want to thank you today for making my eyes healthy. But God, I also want to ask that I would just never take for granted all the ways to see clearly. And Lord, I think right now we're talking about seeing from our heart. Lord, we want to be able to see you and to follow you and to read your word. And you would just unlock our minds and make our sight just crystal clear so we know which way to go. God, help us always stay on the path and following you and not to get off the path and eaten by a bear or going into drugs or all the other things the world offers. Lord, we want to keep our eyes solely on you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll read the moving forward. Number one, describe when you first realized you could see and perceive clearly. I think like in middle school I was, and I was just so blessed to always being able to go to church and being in Bible studies and being taught. But I remember thinking, even then, I was just kind of sitting one day in class and just looking around and just realized, like people were worried about, you know, who's popular and all this kind of stuff. And I just thought, you know, I'm just kind of like on a different level. I can just see people's hearts. And I was always kind of drawn to the people who were unpopular and trying just to be their friend and help them. So I'm really glad for that. It was like all the other kids were trying to, you know, like I say, be popular and drinking and all of that. And they were so consumed with things of the world. And I'm so grateful that he gave me eyes to see differently. Number two, how have your healthy eyes affected your whole body? In other words, how has your healthy perception of Christ affected your life in general? I think having healthy eyes and focusing on Christ makes all the difference. I mean, I think it makes you healthier physically because you're believing that your body is a temple and you're not going to put bad things into it, whether that be bad food or drugs and alcohol. I think it just makes your life more joyful and your attitude more joyful because you're reading his word and you're just filled with his joy. I think it gives you knowledge and wisdom in circumstances to just maybe act differently and just to really realize what the wise thing is. So I think having healthy eyes just affects all parts parts of your body. And the last one, in what circumstances have you rejected the ranger's flashlight and what can you do to ensure that happens less frequently? Yes, I'm sure there's all times we ignore the ranger, Jesus's flashlight. I mean, they're very clearly, often Jesus is pointing with the flashlight very clearly, go this way, do this thing, act this way. And we don't, right? We just go over here and we go on our own path and we're going to get eaten up by a bear. I love that. But the ways that I have been able to stay on the path and to follow the flashlight more clearly, I think is by doing Bible study and devotions, reading his word, being in a group of friends that can give you wise advice that also go to church. I mean, faithful church attendance, listening to good sermons. There's things on your phone right now. I mean, this is like a church right here almost. You can always be listening to all kinds of Christian material. So I think just filling your your mind with great things is a way to keep you on the straight path and following Jesus with this big flashlight. So I hope today, my friend, that you follow Jesus, his word, and follow everywhere that he shines that light so that you can keep your body healthy, your soul healthy, and go out there and do great things and just bring more and more people into the light. That's what I like to do is follow the light and bring more people along. So have a great day following Jesus' light, and I'll see you back here tomorrow. Welcome to the Chosen Devotional, Season 1, Day 34, Precious. Precious. Let's look at Mark 10, verses 13 and 14. Mark 10, 13, the chapter title is The Little Children and Jesus. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. 
When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And then he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Precious. Sometimes the disciples were ridiculous, just like we can be. No doubt some of the children who were brought to Jesus needed to be healed, and the whole point was for Jesus to lay his hands on them, something parents of sick kids would have been desperate to do. So, not only were the disciples saying no to kids coming forward, they were likely saying no to sick kids as well. Not exactly a make-a-wish moment. Isn't that true? (laughs) And Jesus was indignant, which revealed his heart toward them. To keep Jesus from precious little people, to hinder access to him in any way, provoked his righteous anger. Because not only were the children vulnerable and in need, they were the exact representation of those he came to save. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Mark 10, 14. Children are simple. They're appropriately awestruck by the world around them. They're wide-eyed and expectant and moldable and trusting. By nature, they aren't jaded or judgmental. Those qualities come with age, along with self-focus, self-reliance, self-protection, self-promotion, and self-praise. On the contrary, children, most of them anyway, are willing to defer and to receive, to climb into the Savior's lap and be cared for and to be led and loved on. The children approach Jesus in a way we're supposed to emulate. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Jesus rebuked the disciples for putting restrictions on access to him, and the same goes for us. Our preconceived ideas about how relationship with God works and our lofty opinions of how it should work restrict our ability to receive all he has for us. Our righteous merit systems restrict us. We'd rather earn our way into his lap. Our disappointments, bitterness, and defensiveness restrict us. Our shame and guilt and insecurity restrict us. Our pride in our appearance and accomplishment restricts us. Our desire to control our lives restricts us. All of it keeps us from coming unhindered to the one who counts us precious. The children went to Jesus without anything to offer him except their love and excitement to be there. He wanted to spend time with them, hug them, and heal them. He wanted to. We are precious to Jesus, too, when we recognize our need for his help, when we're willing to defer, to receive, to be led, and to be loved on. We're precious when we come to Jesus with the simple expectation that because of who he is and how he loves, we're welcomed, wanted, forgiven, and will be restored. That was really great. I'll read the prayer focus. God, today we just come to you with childlike faith. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to pray some prayers, but really mean them, Lord. Even the simple prayers of a child. Maybe there's some prayers that we had done as children when we were growing up. And I just hope we can go back and pray those prayers, Lord, and just come to you with the faith of a child. Be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll read the moving forward. Number one, what are some of the restrictions you've placed on your relationship with Jesus? What hinders you from communing with him more closely? 
Sometimes we restrict Jesus, I think, by thinking that he can't do something or that maybe a prayer request that we have coming is going to be too big or to bother him or that it just isn't in his will. So it's really important that when we come to come like a child and believe that he hears our prayers and that he wants to hear our prayers, just like the kids got in his lap and just like Mandy's in my lap, just crawl into Jesus' lap and just ask him and just pray to him. That's what he's waiting for. Number two. Read Isaiah 43, 1-4, Luke 12, 6-7, and Romans 5, 6-8. According to his word, what does God see when he looks at you? Isaiah 43, 1-4 says, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned or called you by name. You are mine. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give you Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. I love that passage. And when he looks at me, he sees someone who has been redeemed. He calls me by name. He says, I know you by name. You are mine, Nancy. And he knows each one of you by name. So isn't it just so comforting that he not only redeems us, but he knows each of us by name and we are his. And number three, what are some new habits and thought patterns you need to develop in order to approach God in a more precious, faith-like-a-child way? It's just so great. He really wants us to come like a child. And, I, you know, kids, they come, and they just ask for anything, right? Have you ever had, if you were a parent, you've had kids that come, or maybe when you were a child, you would go ask your parents for maybe ridiculous things because you didn't really care about the cost or anything. You just knew that your mom and dad loved you and that they would probably do anything for you. And it's the same way. So I think we just need to be bolder and ask God for things, even if you think it can't happen or if it's too big or maybe just even too silly. I just ask away because he's my father and he wants to hear from me and he also has the best for me. So I know that when I do ask and when I pray that if the answer is no, that there's a good reason why it's no. Or if it's wait, then maybe I'm learning something while I wait. I encourage you today to come with childlike faith and just ask your father and crawl up into his lap, spend some time with him and just ask because he's waiting to hear from you. Have a great day having childlike faith and I'll see you back here tomorrow. Welcome to The Chosen, Season 1, Day 35, Set Free. Set Free, Part 1. Let's look at Luke 13, verses 10 to 16. Luke 13, verse 10. The chapter title is, A Cripple Woman Healed on the Sabbath. You know trouble's coming with this one. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Can you imagine? That'd be so awesome. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on one of those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? 
When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. I bet they were delighted. This is a fun one. It's done like in a reporter style. So the reporter says, ladies, thank you for being here. As part of our Where Are They Now series, we're catching up with women involved in healings that captivated the region. I'd like to talk to you about your unique encounters with Jesus and how those moments have changed your lives. Daughter of Abraham, let's start with you. Tell us about that faithful day in the temple. Do you recall what he was teaching? Daughter of Abraham, I remember how he was teaching with such power and authority. It made me question if all the other teachers knew anything at all. I was captivated by his words and trying to twist my body enough to look at him, but I couldn't. That's when he saw me and called me forward. Were you fearful? Not fearful, but certainly surprised. Being addressed by a man in public was unexpected, and everyone watching me was a little unnerving, but I was never fearful. I was eager to get to know Jesus. It took a minute because of my condition, you know. Reporter, how did the congregation respond? Shocked, quiet. Then Jesus interrupted the silence with, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And he put his hand on me. That's when you straightened up? Yes, immediately. Jesus was the first person I'd stood face to face with in nearly two decades. I began praising God like nobody's business. I heard the synagogue leader did not share your enthusiasm. Daughter of Abraham, ha, no. He threw a fit about healing on the Sabbath, but Jesus put him in his place. It was pretty great. Jesus gave you the exclusive moniker, Daughter of Abraham. I'd say that's a pretty big deal. How did you feel when he said that? Elated, jubilant, ecstatic, but there's not an accurate enough word. By calling me daughter of Abraham, he was informing everyone in the synagogue that women have the same spiritual status as men. We are equal in the kingdom. Honestly, it was every bit as remarkable as standing up straight, if not more. How has your life changed since that day? Oh, you know, just in every conceivable way, <laughs> he chose me in a single moment. He healed my body and assigned my God-given identity. I still marvel at each word that he said, what he said, and what it all meant, which is, I am chosen and I have been set free. Don't you just love that story? I'll read the prayer focus. God, today we just want to take all of our vices to you. God, if there's anything on my heart that's more than it should be, Lord, I ask you just to free me from that. Help me not to be afraid to come to you, Lord. Help all of us, Lord, to know that you are just waiting for us to come and that we should not be fearful, that you call us daughters and sons of God and that we are your children and you want to hear from us. So help us be brave to pray every day to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll read the moving forward. What's a name you would want Jesus to give you? Well, I love the name daughter. I just love daughter of the king of kings. And knowing that, you know, on bad days, I just got to straighten my crown a little bit and realize I am still a daughter of the king and that he's going to do great things through me. Number two, if Jesus showed up at your church and called you to himself, what would he want to set you free from? 
There's lots of things. Um, mine are just more emotional because physically I'm fine, but just the freedom of doubt. I want to be able just to really trust him at his word. And then just also just to be always having joy in my heart and just to get rid of maybe um, resentment or negativity and just believe that I am a daughter and that he wants to do great things with my life and that I just want to be free from all the negative things and just really be living in a positive way for him. Number three. What are some steps you can start taking to be freed from whatever vice has held you in bondage? Well, I know whenever I feel like I'm being held in bondage, that's just the devil. That's, that's him just playing with my mind and trying to let me know that I'm being held somehow. When God just wants to be setting me free all the time, Jesus can free us from so many things. And so I hope that for me and for you today, that we can just believe that, that he wants us to set us free, right? He wants us to be free to love others and to trust him and to go out there and do great things for other people that bring them into the kingdom as well. And the devil wants us all full of our vices. So I pray today for all of us that we can just give all of our vices to God and believe that we have been set free. Believe that today. Believe you have been set free, my friend. And I'll see you back here again tomorrow. You can get your own chosen devotional mailed right to your house, season one or season two. They also have great Bible studies from season one and season two. Simply go to thechosengifts.com to find all kinds of great chosen merchandise.